0: Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm here with my friend, Zach. Hello, everybody. And today we have a very special guest here. Uh, would you like to
1: introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Adam Sworsky and I'm a member of the Commander Advisory Group. I've been, uh, been writing for magic and wizards of the coast and, and traveling events and, and some capacity for, for almost 10 years now. Uh, I've been playing commander since I remember reading about it online and hitting my local play group. You know, I'm on Twitter as the underscore stibs S T Y B S. So if you want to yell at me about anything that I'm wrong about, I I'd love to, I'd love to understand why I'm wrong about something. But, um, but I also maintain a popper cube. Uh, it's kind of my, my My baby, my project, and uh, an awesome community that's kind of sprung up around the popper cube. so visit the and you can learn a lot more about why I don't just love Singleton when it's 100 card decks.
0: Great, thank you, Adam. Uh, so
1: what is the Commander advisory group? Uh, it's an advisory group for Commander <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, straight to uh, the point. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, you know, I, I think I think Sheldon's articles uh, on it have done an excellent job kind of outlining what the commander advisory group is kind of meant to do and meant to provide for the rules committee. And basically it's that information extension. Get together, uh, you know, like an Avengers-like team of people who have a very wide range of skills and backgrounds and experiences. Get people who are involved with the community, who have been involved with commander a long time, who play commander in wildly different ways, who have very deep rules experience, or, or maybe play, you know, by house rules more often than not and use that as a base for feedback. So the rules committee has much more concentrated and clear information to help support their management of Commander. Cool. So kind of as you said, like
2: the CAG kind of has a lot of different voices on it. So how do you see your role as a member of the CAG?
1: So I'm a bit of an old school player like i remember when it was literally called Elder Dragon Highlander and oh, yeah. i remember reading about it on the mothership and it was about elder dragons and literal just giant eight mana monsters you slap down and have a blast with and yeah. i learned to play with a super casual troop in the uh, dc area at dream wizards in rockville maryland it was a really great group and i had a ton of fun playing with them i remember giving somebody a foil version of the bant elder dragon i can't remember his or her name
2: Oh man! I actually katie
1: sabbath yeah so so it was it was that kind of group where we just all shared and leaned on each other and had a really good group of uh, players that all got together to play, so the way I envision my role is you know is is to kind of be that connective thread. The best skills I have that I believe I can leverage are listening to other members um trying to help understand their points of view and be the kind of be the kind of support that doesn't just bring a strong opinion but is really seeking to understand other perspectives and find a way to present some of that common ground to the rules committee or to connect some very different experiences and find what makes it the same underneath. Uh, Because I think that's a really important way to break down complex problems is you identify the things that are similar or translate between one set of perspectives or another.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. So you've been creating content for a long time, and you're a prominent member of the commander community. How are you going to leverage that experience and that Connection to the community while you're serving on the CAG.
1: Well, I mean, I can sit on the front porch and, and kind of roll in my rocking chair and talk about in my day we played six drops and we were happy about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, you know, I think I think the greatest experience I have is the ability to have played with so many different kinds of players. I've been incredibly privileged and lucky to work on behalf of Wizards of the Coast at events, attend Gen Con for years, attend events like PAX East and, and PAX Unplugged where there honestly are such a wide range of players. You know, there's a lot of Commander players and a lot of Magic players in general that are just excited. And they play with what they have, and they're not even totally engaged in the same way that, you know, folks that are maybe on Twitter DM each other and set up podcast interviews, right? So (laughs) I think it's very important to, to understand that there's a lot of great information around highly engaged Commander players and members. But being able to talk to people who... You know, I don't know their name, but I remember the kind of commander they played and why they liked it. I remember the player that had a Innistrad-themed commander deck where every card was from the plane of Innistrad. It had to be set on there. You know, I remember players who have built incredibly powerful commander decks that just comboed me out in four turns. And to say that one or the other is absolutely the best experience is probably, you know, a little hyperbole. Yeah. But mm-hmm. to to have the, had the opportunity to talk to players who are excited by the way they're playing, even if it's so far apart from each other, I think is really awesome. And it's something that you know, I, I certainly have not forgotten in thinking about and writing about Commander over the years. Excellent. Um, so when Sheldon first introduced the
0: Commander Advisory Group, he mentioned that one of its first duties would be to draft a charter. Can you give us an idea of what that charter is going to look like?
1: I think Sheldon's about ready to kind of share the charter. He and the rules committee did a really great job laying out kind of the foundation of what does it look like to bring together a loose group of people and empower them to find consensus and offer feedback on their own terms to the rules committee. You know, it's very light on things like you do it this way or, you know, these special rules to gather information, but very strong on, you know, you need to be willing to collaborate. You need to be willing to express your ideas with clarity and conviction you know it's, it's really not so much a formal document just as more of like a very formalized like we expect you to be good people and deliver great feedback that comes from a genuine place of love for the format
2: yeah cool so there's kind of i don't know there's a lot of assumptions in the community on like what the the relationship between the CAG and the rules committee uh, and wizards is uh could you give us your kind of take on what that relationship is going to be like
1: yeah so i don't have much to say about the rules committee and wizards per se you know i really don't know how they interact or if at all scott Larrabee is both a wizard employee and on the rules committee you know which i think um, speaks for itself in terms of being able to convey information internally and kind of have that easy pipeline for the two to talk to each other when needed you know clearly when the format was rebranded commander and the edh uh, website was updated to MDG Commander, you know, clearly there was some communication ahead of time. So I think it's generally good. You know, if Wizards is trying to do something really weird or crazy with the format, you know, touching base with the stewards of it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's great. For the way the the CAG and the Rules Committee interact, I think it's um, basically kind of two semi-autonomous groups. We have a shared shared space for collaboration, but we also have isolated locations where, you know, we, we can collaborate internally. And I can I've definitely been in awe of some of the um, ideas and feedback and thoughts that have come around just inside the CAD group so far and where those ideas go or how they'll influence the rules committee going forward is where we will get to collaborate a little more in the future.
0: Can you give us some hints about what
1: those conversations might be about? <laughs> I mean, do you follow Commander Twitter? You know, I mean, obviously, people have thoughts about banning cards or planeswalkers as commander. And, you know, the the things that the community is known for talking about and, you know, has perspective on, I think, are things that as members of the community in the CAG, we have perspective on. And, and we're certainly willing to kind of share healthily with each other. What I don't want to do is overpromise or... Or say, you know, one thing or another or speak on someone else's behalf. But certainly, you know, I have my own perspective on should we ban or unban some cards? Should we use Planeswalkers as commander? And some of the other kind of hot topics that people like to discuss in the commander community.
2: Okay, so basically the, you're using the
1: community's kind of conversations as kind of your guidelines in a lot of ways. That That is certainly some of it. And, and we've had some other ideas kind of come off the wall that have been really cool too. Yeah, no, that is cool. So... Jumping into
0: that a little more deeply, what do you think are the some of the current problems facing the Commander format?
1: So so I've got some personal thoughts here, and I want to make sure that this these are mine. Yeah, so yeah, don't, yeah, for sure. don't take this as any endorsement from the CAG or Rules Committee or Wizards or anything like that. And as a caveat, I think Commander is an awesome spot. I mean, it's one of the most popular ways to play Magic. It's global. It's driving product releases. It's creating new cards. I mean, what more could you ask for a casual born format than to have specific annual catered releases (laughs) and global play, you know, independent of any incentivized torment series or structures? Yeah, for (laughs) sure. So Commander is super awesome. And I think that that's, you know, it's easy to focus on the trees in the forest. The forest is super healthy, super awesome. Now, can we improve things and can we identify things to steward that forest? Absolutely. And that's kind of, you know, where where the rules committee and the CAG come in, right? So for me, the things that I really see jumping out is just the breadth of play experience that players expect from a game of Commander. When I think about a game of Commander, I, I have a pretty specific kind of motif in mind, but other players may not have that vision for for how a game will, will play out or should be expected to play out. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a struggle that happens in just about every way that you can imagine yeah. to play <laughs> Magic. So it's not unique to Commander, but because it's so popular and it's such a shortcut, you know, commander is a casual format, but there's competitive degrees. There's certainly ways to be competitive with commander. Um, and that's also a shortcut for just describing efficient tuned decks, much more powerful interactions. Folks that, that looked to end a game in four turns are probably not looking at the format the same way I am where turn four is where the game maybe even just starts. Hmm. Yeah. And, and there's, there's just a real range to kind of consider in there. Um, and it's just, I don't think it's ever going to go away, but being aware of it and having healthy discussions around it, I think is. So there's two other things that I think, uh, you know, are, are current problems facing the commander format. One of them is um, the breadth of rules management expectations from players participating in commander they enjoy. Because when you come from a perspective of, you know, a more competitive or more refined group, or you're playing in uh, pods at conventions where you pay to play, you know your experiences are probably radically different from when i'm hanging out with a couple friends after hours at a convention and we're like drinking a drinking a couple drinks and having some pizza and it's you know we're it's taking 2 hours but because we've spent 50% of the time eating you know on our turns so you know the the expectation that players should have from the rules committee is really wide right you know competitive players want you know, to help changes and rules to help support the way they play. And that's very reasonable to expect. But, you know, I think the Rules Committee uh, and Sheldon's articles have repeatedly laid out a very different perspective where, you know, they're thinking about the kind of casual gameplay that really made Commander take off. You know, it's why it's called Kitchen Table Magic. It, why it's played in game stores and it's really popular and, and has traveled the world is because people like playing with their friends. And it's, you know, it's a wildly different experience than a competitive one. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the kind of the last thing that I think is a problem facing Commander is access to Commander exclusive cards in, in the in, in the Commander exclusive releases or popular cards for Commander in non standard releases. You know some of the some of the prices of some of the legends from Conspiracy Take the Crown, for example, uh, Selvala. There's just you know some of the some of the older Commander decks and some of the, the legendary creatures or some of the unique Commander cards out of those sets, they can quickly be difficult to acquire versus. You know, your average standard card. And I think that like many players, especially modern players, I think I think the professor and kind of others are a much, much better champion of this. But I would love to, you know, as, as a fan of commander, see more ways for some of those really popular cards to be in the hands of more players uh, and and have them available a little bit more regularly, because I honestly have no idea if Silvala will ever be reprinted. That's a little bit different than, I think, a commander player who can reasonably expect Liliana the Veil or Snapcaster to come back at some point. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, no, we actually talk a lot, like, on our Discord, the discussion comes up a lot about card prices and in the community in general, I think. And I, I do think, like, the bigger the barrier to entry for the format, like, the less fun it gets, the less, like, innovation, the less deck, construction you see like I think that yeah no I I, I agree with you there for sure it's just not fun when like because a a lot of players that me and Nick know have been playing for a very long time and so a lot of us kind of backed into our expensive collections like they weren't expensive when I was in like middle school or they weren't expensive like when I don't even 10 years ago and now all of a sudden you have a collection and the maybe you got someone into the game a year or two ago and you're like oh yeah you know that card's 10 bucks oh yeah you know that card's 20 bucks and all of a sudden like a deck is instead of being like a 50 dollars purchase is like an actual investment
1: yeah and i think there's been a lot of great work wizards has done to help make mana more attractive you know you don't actually need the dual lands to play multicolor commander decks like I promise you, reserve list cards are not required to play a three color commander deck. There's a lot of great, lot of great mana bases and easy ways to build them out. But if you're looking at something like Cyclonic Rift, which I think a lot of players feel obligated to play in some of their decks, or Mana Crypt, which is a really powerful, you know, mana acceleration. If you feel like you're obligated to play some of those cards in your play group, the price tag that's associated with them is is a barrier to entry, and it feels really bad.
2: Yeah. Yeah
1: what would be your priorities for
0: making changes to the format? And again, we we do understand that this is just your opinion and not necessarily indicative of what is going to happen. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely true. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's some opportunity to make some, some changes to the ban list. I'd like to see some opportunity to streamline it. But, you know, I personally have a pretty radical idea to streamline it. You know, I think that it's it's difficult to kind of talk about a, a ban list when there's always going to be another individual card. You're just dealing with all the cards in Magic. It's kind of impossible to avoid having a ban list that feels long, maybe. But I'd really love to, to see a shift in terms of the way we talk about cards in the format away from if it's banned or not, or if it's bannable or not, or is it as powerful as Paradox Engine or not, and more into you know kind of categories of cards like how much mana acceleration is good or bad you know how much ramp is good or bad? How much graveyard hate or graveyard recursion is good or bad? Just the kind of classes and kind of types of interactions that players can bring to the game, I think help dictate the experience that players will get out of it. Because there's a huge difference between Eldrazi deck with uh mana crypt and every, every colorless mana rock you can imagine and somebody who's, you know, again, playing like a very, very thematic, very flavorful, fun deck that they've spent a lot of time and care to put together. You know, I don't think there's an easy way to get those two players to play a game they both enjoy with each other. But if we can talk about why that is and talk about ways that we can improve the communication between players, that would be the biggest thing. And I think that starts by changing how we talk about ban cards and why certain kinds of cards are considered more problematic than others.
2: Yeah, cool. Okay.
0: That is awesome to hear. <laughs> so getting, getting a little more deeply into the, the issue of banning, what do you think would be the ideal process for banning or unbanning cards?
1: You know, if we had perfect data, like the process would be just like we ban standard cards, right? Let's look at the wealth of gameplay data that we can gather from digital sources, distill it down to identify play sequences that that invariably end one way or another, and use that as, you know, kind of the last stopgap to uh, remove play sequences that always lead to negative outcomes. That's not going to happen with Commander, right? Like, there's just no way to gather that yeah. data. Uh, and, you know, I had a ton of fun watching Jimmy and Josh's episode uh, of the Command Zone, looking at data from online games for entertainment. But again, that's just such a tiny slice. There's a lot of asterisks with that data set, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. it's helpful, you know, in similar ways to when I looked at EDHREC data before. It's super helpful and definitely is indicative and you kind of, see eyebrows wiggling and see some directional kind of correlations, but it's not the same as having that depth of data to really compare and drill down into from, you know, a competitive, consistent experience that you get from standard and modern kind of other data sources. So the ideal process, I, I think is really taking a hard look at some of those directions and arrows. The one that I, the one that I'll go back to is uh, I remember looking at EDH rec data and across all blue lists, cyclonic rift was played in more decks with blue than Basic Island. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that was, I believe I looked at all the other cards, and that was the only card for the color where that was the case. So does that mean Cyclonic Earth should be banned? Not by itself. Does that mean that, you know, do I feel that that's an appropriate point of information to consider and go, why is it the case that players who play blue almost 60% of the time put a Cyclonic Rift in their deck according to EDH rec. That, I think, is a directional question that helps lead you to consider things. Um, but it's not perfect, right? Because if you look at a card like Moat, well, it's on the reserve list. There's very few copies out there. You're just never going to get a card like that in enough decks. Or if there's a brand new card to the format, leovol right? If you're using aggregated deck data, it's going to take a long time for the count and the number of those decks to rise up and really show you if there's a problem or not. So it's it, the sourcing of data is very challenging. And so I think fundamentally, you just have to glean some of the anecdotal data and use that to really explore in a discussion with a small group or with players who have seen a lot of different forms of commander, have played around the country, around the world, kind of like a small group of people maybe the rules committee put together recently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, for
0: sure. Uh, can I ask a follow-up question to that? Absolutely. So you mentioned that uh, there's... A lot of limitations to say like the the gameplay data that's been collected by the command zone folks or by the decklist data we have on edh rec has the advisory group had any discussion about potentially working with wizards and maybe partnering them to collect magic online commander data and use that to help steer the conversation
1: you know i know um that's not something that i've brought up recently uh, i know that there's been asks for that kind of data before but I think there's a fundamental difference between some of the Magic Online data and what you would see out in the, the real world. I just don't think you get many Commander games. As far as I know, I think, I think competitive Commander was, was discontinued as a format on Magic Online. It's, they're not supporting it with events and things like that. And in terms of gameplay, I think Commander Online is very challenging to navigate as a player. It's not necessarily the best user experience. I'll put it that way. Um, they didn't make it easy. Yeah, so I would I would I would believe that they have some data, but I just I would have no confidence that it'd be a very large data set or really accurately freck the weird world. And there's a ton of cards that are played in Commander, from supplemental sets, from commander only releases that don't go to Magic Online anymore that just aren't on Magic Online. Some are in the treasure chest, but there's just a lot of cards that don't overlap. Cool. Again, good data but some asterisks. Yeah, yeah, of course.
2: So following the release of Unstable, there was this experiment that the Rules Committee did with silver bordered cards becoming legal and commander for a month. Is that the kind of thing we can expect for the future? Is that something that you guys have talked about at all, having these like little trial run periods to maybe gather more comprehensive like anecdotal data?
1: Yeah, that's something I would love to see. You know, I think it'd be great to when the opportunity and the strategic timing makes sense Mm -hmm. to kind of flex the format or provide uh, an incentive to try something different. Right. And the goal isn't, you know, I I would, I would never want a goal where it's like, okay, well, you know, here's the hard rules. And if you're not playing this way, you know, you're not playing commander this month. You know, I, I think that that's, Probably not a great philosophy to go forward with. And also, change for change's sake is just a fool's errand. You know, you're just going to throw stuff at a wall and people won't won't enjoy it because they're just not playing what they started to play with. Yeah. But for, you know, War of the Spark, and it seems like there's going to be a big Planeswalker theme, I would love to find a way to kind of experiment with the Planeswalker's commander role and celebrate that. To create some opportunity to get anecdotal information, to have play experiences with Planeswalkers as commander uh, but also know that this is just a kind of like a little, like a little bonus, like, hey, you know, do this for a little bit. It's totally cool. But, you know, we're not locked into anything. Nobody's kind of committing to to changing format rules overall. I love that kind of idea. I think that when it's the right kind of time and right kind of place, I'd love to see it. And I know it's something that, um, you know, we've, we've discussed within the CAG.
2: Yeah, no, cool. I mean, we play with uh, custom commanders sometimes in like our play group and those are really fun, but it's the kind of thing where, like, you really do need multiple play groups to play with cards or with rules to know if it's actually working. Because, like, maybe something works really well with you and your friends, but if you brought it to a shop, who knows, like, what that would look like. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's, that's the exact problem I kind of laid out at yeah. the beginning, right? Like, like what, what what you expect can be wildly different depending upon where you sit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh,
1: so you're a, a very long-time
0: commander player. Uh, you've been with the format for a while. Who's been your favorite commander over the years, and, and why do
1: you like them? So I, I'm going to cheat and kind of have three answers for this. <laughs> I think my favorite commander is Crush the blood because it was the first commander deck I ever built. And it was just Jund, steal your stuff, and then sacrifice it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun just to like make like, a giant crush and try to smash. These were very innocent commander times yeah. where <laughs> you know you could expect to play a six drop and then do some things to set it up and then take another turn to attack with like a 2020. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> <laughs> but um but but that was kind of really the first time I stood on my own. I didn't borrow a deck. I didn't look up, yeah, you know, there weren't decks to look up online. Oh, I had yeah. to figure out how, how do I how do I make a Jund take your stuff throw it away deck and you know it was a lot of fun to have that first time exploration the deck I've had together for the longest time one form or another is Reese the Redeemed Mm -hmm. it's oscillated between being super tuned and you know I could almost win off of just three mana and no Gaea's Cradle all the way to having very very strong you know it's just gonna make a bunch of tokens and have some fun with them maybe shrug
0: (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's uh,
1: it's been kind of like my go-to. I love tokens and the fiddly stuff, and mm-hmm. collecting tokens from other players and and content creators and things. So it was a good excuse to kind of put them all to work. Oh, but cool. the deck that I deck I love the most is definitely the what I call Pro Tour Farika. It's the deck that Sheldon kindly shared and, and and my recent kind of words on it, I think, in his article about it. Do the best job of explaining it. But um I, Golgari, grind, dirtle kind of stuff is just kind of my my bay. Mm-hmm. Like I just want to like play with the graveyard and throw some big things around and maybe bring out Jared and sacrifice a Lord of Extinction and just dome somebody for like forty five mm-hmm. you know to end mm-hmm. a game. Like it takes a long time and it's just kind of meant to be super fun. And it's kinda of how I approach commander is you know, I'm going to play Yavamaya Granger and it does everything I want to do. It gets me <laughs> a land and it goes to the graveyard. Now i have to think about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, we're very familiar with the,
0: the Jared Lord of Extinction strategy. Yeah, that's, uh... Zach's kind of infamous for that one. Yeah,
2: that's probably the deck I've had together for the longest time. And I get uh, endless amounts of crap about <laughs> Lord of Extinction. <laughs>
1: It's okay, you just, play, you just play the Flying
2: Lord of Extinction now instead, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also... My favorite one is the Mossbridge Troll, because no one ever sees it coming. That's the funniest <laughs> one. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like it. Uh, you have favorite strategies. You probably have like least favorite cards or strategies. Could you name like something you
1: strongly dislike? Maybe a, a strategy or a card in particular? I mean at at the risk of sounding like a true casual <laughs> player like my the things that I generally don't like are you know land destruction counter spells mm. mass removal you know, all the things that, you know, our other people really love, mm-hmm. um, but fundamentally what actually connects them, it isn't any any one counterspell or one, you know, supreme verdict or, or uh, anything like that. Fundamentally, it's strategies that deny anyone other than that player the ability to have a good experience in that game. So there are some players who genuinely enjoy locking other players out of a game, locking out their ability to play, play effects to meaningfully interact. Whether they'll win quickly afterwards or not, but just the fact that they can lock a game down, it's like solving a puzzle. And while I totally appreciate that perspective of puzzle solving, it's why I actually preferred Sealed over Draft
0: mm-hmm. most of the
1: time for Limited. It's The puzzle solving aspect is amazing when you figure out a great Sealed deck and you figure out how to play your deck you know, well, it feels like an aha moment and, and that's awesome. But when you're with a format which is designed to have multiple players come together and the the goal, the stated goals of the format, uh, sculpting the direction of the format is for everyone to be having a good time, I think it's, I think it's a little short-sighted to, to stop at am I having a good time and insist that because I enjoy this puzzle-solving aspect, your lack of enjoyment of that is somehow, you know, detrimental to me when instead I could be looking at other types of puzzles to solve that aren't necessarily total resource denial or total creature denial or other things that kind of impede the ability of a game to be meaningfully fun for multiple players and most of the time it just slows the game down which is I think the most annoying thing for any player you know there's a lot of things that can help you stay alive maybe psychonic rift but unless you're really far ahead just actually just kind of slow everything down and kind of reset things without advancing the game state for the game's sake.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've kind of seen that as a theme is that people kind of complain about games going too long, like uh, maybe things got too grindy or people weren't ready for it or something like that. So I do agree with that. I think people don't always plan for that, that 12th wrath that might end up happening in a game and everyone like hangs their head in their hands and that that's not the best experience.
0: A couple quick questions. How do you feel about abolishing commander damage as an alternate win condition?
1: No. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you're going to let players double or triple their starting life, I think it's totally reasonable to give decks that can hit hard, hit fast, make an unblockable creature kind of uh, a point of victory. As somebody who admittedly made their first deck that could kill somebody with commander damage in one attack, (laughs) you know, you'll find that I probably am a little biased towards it. But honestly, you know, one of the things that I think that players miss with Commander is when they build their decks, they think about what their opponents are doing. you know, And they put in a lot of ways to answer opponents, forgetting that they need to be advancing the game themselves too. And I think that Commander Damage and big creatures and ways to attack and just genuinely advance the game as you go are really good for the format. And I think Commander Damage is one of the ways that makes the format keep moving. I think it's good.
0: As a, As a follow-up question, you said that if we're going to double or triple players starting life total, then commander damage is really necessary. How do you feel about potentially changing the starting life total in commander and maybe lowering it?
1: You know, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that. I think that especially some commanders and some strategies that really benefit from starting with 40 life can use some sort of life doubling effect to, you know, to hit 60 or 80 pretty quickly. I wouldn't be opposed to lowering the starting life total. But at the same time, I think that it's something I haven't really thought about deeply. So to have a strong feeling about it, I, I don't have one at the time, but I think to play some games and see what it kind of does, I don't think it would affect a lot of decks. I think the decks that are already um, competitive and already very efficient, you know, would find that their games would be much faster. Those decks get stronger in a format where there's just a little bit less of a buffer for other players to have a time to, to play what they're going to do. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. You've kind of already answered a this question that we had for you but where are you like are you in favor of allowing planeswalkers as commanders you've kind of already answered this but maybe you can expand on it a
1: little bit yeah i'm i'm not i think that one of the things that makes commander so intrinsically different is this you know actually restating that what makes commander intrinsically different from other formats is you get this card that you can repetitively play Mm -hmm. like fundamentally that's what gives commander kind of its thing everything else is just a deck building restriction or some sort of artificial barrier to you know to creating randomness the requirement to use just one copy of of non-basic lands things like that but i think fundamentally when you have a resource like a creature you know it comes with the drawbacks that a resource like creatures have you know which is why i think less expensive commanders uh, or commanders that are difficult to remove from the game you know reese the redeemed For Rika, these are commanders I really enjoy. They also have a tendency to stick around, get the job done, and provide what they're meant to do, which is to be that recursive resource that you can lean your deck into. I think that once you start looking at Planeswalkers and even other card types, you know, I've heard kind of thrown around, you know, people want to build their deck around those things, but I think fundamentally they just work differently. You know, it's not reasonable to expect, you know, a turn three Planeswalker to be attacked on the next turn in every game of Commander. You know, I think Mm -hmm. that that's just not something that's going to happen so when you when you have a fundamentally different kind of resource that works in a fundamentally different kind of way and requires broadly speaking different methods of interacting to respond to it i think you just open the door to play experiences that just aren't as good as those that focus on creatures
2: so there's there's kind of another topic that's been in the community not quite as loud because of war coming up but are you interested in banning off-color fetch lands or do you do you have a opinion on that either way
1: I I don't have a strong opinion I I don't see the I don't see the problem I like flavor and I think flavor is a good thing for commander you know I mean it was originally called elder dragon highlander yeah (laughs) because you chose an elder dragon to build a deck around that is that is primordial flavor for playing magic in a nutshell so I I get kind of why that might be a a consideration but I also believe that the fewer rules there are in the format, the the easier it is to engage and play, you know, which is why I'm generally in favor of trying to find ways to reduce the ban list or streamline it in a meaningful way that conveys the depth of what players need to get, but doesn't apply additional rules and make it make additional barriers to building decks. You know, I wouldn't want to ban off-color fetches for that.
0: Yeah. In, in a similar vein,
1: how do you feel about allowing off-color hybrid cards? I think if you're going to have a rule and talk about color identity, you've got to follow that all the way through and you need a consistent system for that hybrid cards have a multicolor color identity. Sorry. Um, would you
2: like to see unstable legends officially brought into the format? Do you like any of them in
1: particular? <laughs> um, I mean, broadly, I think, I think there's a lot of uncards that should just be in commander. Um, mm-hmm. Probably unsurprising as uh, somebody who has a pauper cube and uses silver bordered cards, I'm a big fan of silver bordered cards, and so yeah. for me, I I think the idea that we don't have the silver bordered cards that are entirely fun and thematic, um, or or even just duplicate, you know, basic abilities, uh, selfie preservation, great example. Mm-hmm. You just need, you need another rampant growth. Great, you've, you've got basically a second copy or a third copy of rampant growth in your deck. Those kind of things are are harmless, even if they're a bit kind of off key. And I think that. It, I think it' would be great to have an opportunity to use those cards outside of the limited environment it's in you know how many how many unstable drafts have you done in the past year?
2: oh man, I mean last year
1: uh, probably man. like two I don't know I did a lot of unstable drafts <laughs> right and so and so it's awesome when that when that happens but have you have you done one at an event recently?
2: Nope,
1: I'd love to have an opportunity to use some of those cards again, and so i I don't think we should just have the unstable legends. I would love to see broader silver-bordered cards brought in you know of course some some caveats I, I think that there's some cards that just don't create a healthy game of magic but mm-hmm. there's a lot of cards that are just kind of fun and cheeky and for the players that enjoy them you know i, I i've seen silver-bordered decks already i play with Bruce shard at packs. he just brings a silver-bordered commander anyway and he asks players before we play and, and everyone i've never seen anyone be uncool with it
2: yeah that's kind of that communication thing you brought up like as long as expectations are kind of there. People don't feel like they're getting cheated like after the game starts so what are your thoughts on changing the number of poison counters needed to kill someone in commander? Poison's kind of been
0: the hot button issue
2: yeah, it's ever pretty much since it
1: in fact really it's it's been just a topic yeah, I think this is a great example of. Kind of a perspective divide, right? Like I, I can't remember the last time I played against an infect deck.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I've seen, I can remember one time in the past year, somebody had the, the one mana black instant target creature gets plus one plus zero and infect until end of turn. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I've seen that. I think just once, just nail somebody out of a game out of nowhere. And admittedly, that person was the king, and they deserved to go. So I wasn't really that heartbroken about it. But I think among groups that build very finely tuned decks that are more interested in that aren't just more interested I should say but actively engage and appreciate a more competitive type of multiplayer environment I think infect you know is a real feel bad you know it feels much harder to control against and you have very few ways of meaningfully interacting with it once you've taken some damage so you know while I feel bad for those players I have a hard time envisioning infect as a problem broadly
2: Mm -hmm.
1: all right
0: uh we're gonna move on to the lightning round so, for, <laughs> uh, for the following cards, uh, tell us if you think it deserves to be banned or unbanned. And we understand that these are your answers, your personal opinions, and not indicative of what might happen in the future. And
1: are you going to tell me if it's banned or not banned? Y- before, yes. when you tell me the card? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I definitely don't have the list memorized. Shh, don't tell me one. <laughs> Alright. World Fire is banned currently. Should it be banned or unbanned? unban it it's a nine mana it doesn't even win you the game card Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) like if you if you successfully resolve it i'm probably happy the game's over (laughs) all right uh tooth and nail currently unbanned seems okay i mean there's tons of tons of other two-card combos that do or don't require creatures you know i'd love i'd love to resolve mine when i cast it it hasn't happened in a while (laughs) sway of the stars
2: uh it's currently banned i don't know if you've seen this card in a long while yeah i
1: mean i i remember when the card was previewed um Mm -hmm. it's been a long time yeah Uh, you know i'm generally not a fan of of reset the game but the fact that it resets it to seven life i'm a little less inclined to say it's it's the worst you know i think it's fine banned but if it became unbanned and, and we reset to seven life i think my creature heavy decks would be very excited Paradox Engine, currently uh, unbanned. I don't have a strong feeling. You know, I, I think there's a lot of really gross things to do in Commander. It's probably just unhealthy to build around, period. But <laughs> if somebody just plays it by itself, they've got a lot of other work to do to win with it.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> Profit of Crufix, currently banned. I'm fine with this. Um, I'd actually like to add Seaborn Muse to it. Um, as somebody who definitely uses Seaborn Muse in way more <laughs> decks than I should. Um, just the, the, the free I get to take a turn in addition to everyone else's turn. It breaks the, the asymmetry of turns in Commander. It's not something I'm I'm happy to see. And I think Prophet Crufix definitely kind of breaks fundamentally expectation of Commander. Where you get a turn and, and it's not your opponent's too. Painter's Servant. Currently banned... I think this one's fine coming back. Again, there's a lot of really gross things to do in the yeah. format. You know, if you really want to break things, the current ban list is really not stopping you. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I would want to take away the obvious kind of Iona painter servant lockout setup. If you could look at the context of what it would do, it's not going to really do anything for people that aren't already looking to to break the game.
2: Yeah, kind of in that vein, uh, Iona Shield of Amaria,
1: uh, currently unbanned. With or without banner servant coming back, <laughs> I I really want to see Iona go. Um, nice. I I don't remember any time she's kind of come out and had it feel like it was good for the player who is on the receiving end of Iona, and I have been. You know, on one hand, nine mana is a lot to to kind of muscle through, and especially as a commander you're in mono white. But from a perspective of does this single card fundamentally make a bad play experience, and I think Iona does.
2: Yeah, we don't normally try to like talk about our own opinions when if you're doing this but i think we both agree with the painter servant iona thing like iona we don't want like monocolor decks to have an even harder time and painter servant is actually a fun card to play with where iona i think like fundamentally creates unfun scenarios so yeah i i agree with you <laughs> um the next card is crater of behemoth currently unbanned
1: don't don't take Behemoth Bay from me. <laughs> Reese Reese's gotta win somehow. <laughs> um, so Sundering Titan currently banned. I mean, if we're gonna leave Armageddon unbanned, I think Sundering Titan's fine. It it's definitely one of those cards where it's easy to kind of tool with it a little bit more being an artifact and kind of bouncing it and flickering it and stuff but we already leave in so many ways to to wreck everybody's mana Yeah, you know, i think sundering titan's a pretty tame example you know compare that to you know limited resources which is literally just oops i've got five lands and nobody else gets any it's a wildly different feel yeah
0: yeah definitely biorhythm currently banned uh, don't we have a biorhythm creature like, y- like we yeah. have
1: repeatable biorhythm yes like biorhythm can come back <laughs> survival of the fittest uh currently unbanned there's so many tutors and engine cards again i think survival is just one of those fundamentally really busted cards you know if you build around it like you build around painter sir uh not painters well Code with Painter server, yeah, but yeah. Uh, Paradox Engine or kind of the other types of self-contained engines. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really easy to do busted things, but I don't think it by itself breaks games enough. Cyclonic Rift currently unbanned. I think Cyclonic Rift should go. I think Blue has other ways of sweeping the battlefield, and the fact that this is asymmetrical and an instant. If it was one or the other, if it was an instant but all non-land permanence, or if it was a sorcery and you know you had to commit to playing it on your own turn and basically not get free uncontested turn out of it, I think it'd be in a little bit different of a spot. But I just see Cyclonic Rift so often as either it resets everybody for no good effect because the player who casts is just behind, okay, or they're just that far ahead and they use that as like the final pin in their lock. And they just have an insurmountable advantage after that point. I'm just not a fan of of Cyclonic Rift and, and where it typically goes in games.
2: So we have just a few more here. So the first of the last ones is Recurring Nightmare, which is currently banned.
1: Again, there, there's a ton of two-card combos already in the format. Recurring Nightmare is super busted, super broken. Yeah. And I don't think it makes games better by itself, but I don't think adding it necessarily makes makes the format worse. There's so many other ways to kind of break creatures and break recursion. I think if it came off, I, I don't think most of us would notice.
0: Necropotence,
1: currently unbanned. I can't remember the last time I saw somebody play Necropotence, so it's fine.
2: Wow, that's, ri- that's a, actually kind of a beautiful thing. I guess I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Gaia's Cradle, currently unbanned.
1: Why are you attacking my Reese deck so much? <laughs> what, what did Reese ever do to you? Uh, you know, again, if we're going to allow really powerful mana sources, I mean, the fact that we just got a fixed Gaea's Cradle enchantment that mm-hmm. is easier to recur because it's an enchantment, um, you know, I, I think Gaea's Cradle's fine. It's it's obviously frustrating if, if you know if it, if it's left uncontested, and, mm-hmm. and it certainly can lead to some degenerate game states, but by itself, it it's fine. Just. One more. This is
2: Mana Crypt, which is currently unbanned.
1: I think there's way too much fast mana played. Um, I think, I, I mean, I very famously wrote an article where I'm just like, you probably shouldn't play Soul Ring. Like Soul Ring is just not a great card all the time, and mm-hmm. or even for every deck. And obviously, there's some there's some disagreement about that Uh, i'll put it i'll put it that way and then i think other people wrote about it and, and they were fine so i don't know maybe i knew something maybe i didn't but i think i think mana crypt is a great example of the kind of fast mana that divides players who are looking to to leverage powerful immediate advantages and and engage from a more competitive and tuned mindset from the players who are much more inclined to kind of roll as it goes and play one land per turn and are looking for a different kind of experience it isn't that Mana Crypt by itself is bad. It's just one of the many kinds of cards that are emblematic, I think, of the speed and acceleration and how easy it is to kind of break a format that lets you play those kinds of cards. You know, I think, I think, I think Mana Vault is almost as busted too as Mana Crypt, and I've seen both do some really gross things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've
2: definitely seen and done the turn one Mana Crypt, Kodama's Reach, and that you feel like you're on like another plane of existence at that point you're
1: like, well, this game's going a certain way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard because when you, when you just have a soul ring in a deck it comes up so, so infrequently, it doesn't really feel like it's a problem. Maybe we put soul ring in every, you know, commander release, right? Like mm-hmm. that's a thing wizards just does. But when you have soul ring, mana vault, mana crypt, and, and a couple more very explicit turn one, turn two ways to accelerate, you go from a random happenstance of, Oh, super lucky. That's nice. And if you draw it, you know, on turn 10, it's Really not doing a lot for you at that point, versus you know consistently being able to do that on the first or second turn. That play sequence just leads to a very different type of game. So I mean, I, I don't think I don't think Mana Crypt should die for Soul Ring sins, but you know, <laughs> if you took the whole lot with you somehow, you know, I, I'd probably be okay with that. But I, I just don't foresee that really being reasonable. Mm-hmm. I remember
2: actually your article about that. I thought. You actually had some good points on that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard if you play with players that have a tuned deck and an efficient deck. Taking out all of your you know ultra efficient mana acceleration is just feels like well I've just given up, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very difficult to ask somebody to do that. But on the flip side, if I if I put all of that efficient mana fixing into my Farika deck it's just going to roll over, you know, probably 50% of the people I play with at conventions, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, they're just not going to, again, going to be two or three turns behind me by the time they, you know, by the time they hit their fifth land. Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, this was pretty rad. Like thank you for coming on and talking to us and kind of explaining your opinions and kind of giving us a look into like how you view the commander advisory group and commander and just kind of being awesome. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we really
1: appreciate yeah. you coming on, man. Thank you. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to ask me about Commander or, or Popper Cubes? Could you give us just your social media info? Yeah, I, I'm on Twitter as the underscore stibs, S T Y B S. Uh, I've got a Patreon at patreon.com slash Popper And that's basically it. Well, again, like, thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah. Any, any other things you want to get out there before we go? I mean, I got to talk about how I love uncards, and I got to I got to, to be angry about how much you want to make my restack bad. So <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was it was a lot of fun. All right, <laughs> awesome. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check them out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time.